I, I remember my daughter was two months old and I called my mom crying and asking her seriously if she could keep her for the next year and I'll just come get her on her one year old birthday. And I was completely serious. I just remember telling my friends, I'm not cut out for this. This is not for me. And at that season of life, I was very depressed and I was anxious and I did not know that you could be depressed and anxious at the same time. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Episode 14, I could not be more excited because today we have Amy Bernhard on the line. I've been so excited for this interview because Amy, I've been a fan of yours since I saw you speak on a stage in 2016. Ever since then, I have been watching you and the things that you've been doing. I am here for your story and your honesty and your vulnerability, all of these things that you are serving to the people that you follow. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on to herself today. I am so excited. Thank you so much for having me on, Amy and Abby. Like When I saw that y'all podcast was coming out, I said, If I could be a guest speaker on this podcast, I would be honored because y'all are so aligned with my values and everything that I'm about. And I just love how y'all speak very unfiltered. And that's just something that I always just want to stand firm on that, you know, in a very filtered world, I want to live unfiltered. And so just thank you so much for like leading and paving the way in that. But I am 32 years old. I'm from South Louisiana. So like Cajun country, swamp people, you know, I have a few missing teeth. No, I really do. I have a few missing teeth, but I do have implants. But yeah, I'm from, oh the, um, I'm from the South and I'm a stepmom. So I have an eight-year-old little boy and I have a two and a half-year-old little girl. Me and my husband will be married three years. So hashtag do the math. We'll be married three <laughs> years um, in two weeks. I can't believe it's our anniversary coming up. But um, I've been a full-time entrepreneur now for six and a half years working from home. I was previously working as a dental hygienist for four years. And it's just, it just really was not my passion. Teaching people how to floss is like, it's needed. You know, gingivitis is a real thing, but it's like not life-changing. And so I kind of stepped away from that. And now I'm more coming into the business coach writing and speaking world. And again, I'm just really honored to be a guest speaker on your podcast. So thank you for having me. Well, we said she gets on us. She gets on us right away, guys. <laughs> I did just get an electronic toothbrush, so I had to, to brag about that with you a little bit. <laughs> and I know, Amy, when we were getting started, one of the first names that came up was you. So thank you. This is just a dream interview coming to life right now. And because we want to cover so much, we're just going to dive right in. And I think that one of the big reasons we wanted you on right away is because we're on the same mission. We're trying to help women understand that they're really not alone in their struggles and really trying to unmask the social media, helping women understand that not everything that's posted online is for them and it's not someone else's full reality. Like so many times we realize that that's just their highlight reel. 
So what are some of the main messages that you have on your heart for the women listening? I think the biggest thing that comes to my mind when I hear this question is don't take criticism from somebody you wouldn't go to for advice. Because I think that that is what stops us and what holds us back from really showing up and being vulnerable and living our truth because we're so scared of what people are going to think about us, right? Like when people decide, you know, I want to start something, I want to start a business, or I want to be a stay-at-home mom, or I want to go back to work after having my baby, and I want to stop breastfeeding, I want to start breastfeeding, whatever it is, everybody has an opinion about it. And we take that to heart. But the thing that I say to myself before I show up and I make a vulnerable post or I say something that's like really transparent, you have to be ready for criticism. You have to be ready for those opinions. And you have to think, you know, would I go to this person for advice? And usually it's a random person who doesn't know you. They don't know your heart. They don't know your morals and your goals. And so just with anything and any decision, you have to find your tribe. And for me, I have five strong women who just support me no matter what. They tell me what I need to hear and what I want to hear, but they stretch me. They hold me accountable. And so if you feel like you're taking criticism from, you know, Harry, Dick, and Larry, and all the people from high school, you know, it might be because you haven't really found your tribe that's aligned with you. And so that is the biggest piece of advice that I have carried with me through 2019 till now is don't take criticism from somebody you wouldn't go to for advice. One thing I think that women struggle with is they start to kind of idealize other people's life and for you, you know, you, you show up, you're such a beautiful person. Um, but I know that there are areas that you have struggled in the past, just like any of us. If we could, can you take us back to when you were pregnant with Amelia to give everyone reference? I know that you are a former bikini competitor. I've seen those pictures on stage, girl, you were working it. Um, but we know that pregnancy is a huge physical transformation Was that something that you struggled with? It was terrible. It was absolutely awful. And oh my gosh. So to bring you back, whenever I got pregnant, I was dating my husband. We were dating for about six months when we found out we were pregnant. And he has a child from a previous marriage. And so I'll never forget what that was like. You know, it makes my heart want to jump out of my chest when I think back of when I saw that pregnancy stick positive. I had so much shame. I had so much guilt, you know, because on social media, I was talking about how much I love the Lord, you know, and how much I love God and how he's transformed my life. And then now, you know, I got married before. I mean, I got pregnant before we got married. And so I struggled with a lot of shame and guilt initially, but as well, I also struggled with anxiety. And so I had been on, um, an anti-anxiety medicine for four years, a prescription medicine that I had to take every single day. And whenever I found out I was pregnant, you know, my doctor, she encouraged me to get off of it and to get off of it pretty quickly. And so you tie that into the hormones and everything. And me and my husband, we decided to elope. So we eloped two months later. I was about 14 weeks pregnant on our wedding day. And I thought that 
I look back now, you guys, and I freaking was beautiful. But in you the were, moment, girl. that was I so. Was, but in the oh. in the moment, you feel so terrible. You feel so bad. You feel so fat. You're in your head, and I wish I would have enjoyed it more rather than just wishing those nine months away. But I really thought that I would bounce back. You know, because all these women kept saying, you're going to bounce back. And I worked out my entire pregnancy. Okay. My entire pregnancy, I worked out. I put on 61 pounds. And I, I really, I think your body's going to do whatever it wants to do. But now, if I could give a piece of advice to my old self, is don't worry about the number on the scale. Your body's going to do what it wants. But really, to try to enjoy it as much as it you can instead of wishing it away because you're creating a miracle. It really is a miracle. And you said it so well, Amy, with when you look back, it's so much easier to look back and say, oh, I wish I would have enjoyed that time. When when you're in it and you're seeing the numbers go up on the scale, it can be a lot harder, especially as a bikini competitor. I can't imagine <laughs> the transition to pregnancy, the transition to parenthood is difficult for anybody, much less given all the circumstances that you were thrown. So take us back, Amy, to when you first became a mama. What did that transition look like? So I do have to take you back even before that is that what it was like, we eloped, you know, we had a wedding, we had about 14 people at our wedding, our closest friends and family. We didn't take a honeymoon, we just kind of took a weekend getaway to New Orleans. And when I got back on that Sunday, you know, we had our son. And on that Monday, it went from me because I used to live alone working from home with my dog. And I would sleep till 10, 1030, you know, stay up until 11 or 12 at night. And so then I get home and now I'm a wife and I'm a stepmom on that Monday. And I'm waking up at 5 a.m. trying to kick, cook this five-year-old little boy some pancakes that he doesn't really like. He doesn't want to eat it. I'll never forget, poor thing, I, I think back to it now, and he could have just been nervous too, is that, you know, my first night that I slept over as a married family, and that that night when we, that morning when we woke up, you know, uh, my stepson, he threw up all over the kitchen, and I just thought, oh my God, is this what it's going to be like? Like, does this happen? Is this normal? And now I think back, he was probably just really nervous, you know, and everything is so new to him, and you know, I'm just kind of talking it out, having that realization. But becoming a stepmom was, for me personally, a harder role than becoming um, the mother to my daughter when we had her September of 2017. So there was about a six-month period where I had to adjust to becoming a stepmom. And once I became, once I had my daughter, I had an emergency C-section and I was two weeks early. I remember telling the doctor, she basically said, we have to get her out right now. You know, she was transverse. Her head was completely sideways and um, my amniotic fluid was extremely low. And I said, I, I just have to go to Target. Like, <laughs> to Target. I need to get some stuff. Can I just come back and we can get her out later? She was like, no, ma'am. And within 45 minutes later, I delivered my baby from leaving the doctor's office there. And so it was really scary, but nothing could prepare you for motherhood because we look at Facebook, we look at Instagram, you know, what we see is those months where one month old, my baby's two months old, they're sitting up, they're spitting up, you know, they're having blowouts. And at that season of life, 
I was very depressed and I was anxious and I did not know that you could be depressed and anxious at the same time. I thought that it was one or the other. And I figured it out that I was actually living in the past. Um, and that's what was causing my depression because I was so much missing my old life and everything happened so quickly. I was missing my old body. I remember looking in the mirror and just, I looked, I felt like I looked beat up. Like I just did not know what happened to the girl that once was. And for those first three months, I call them the hundred days of darkness. That newborn phase is the hundred days of darkness where for those first three months, I tried so hard to go back to living my old life. I wanted to be my old self. You know, I thought that I could just pick up right where I left off and then everything would be the same. But I didn't realize that once that baby comes out of you, you are completely changed. You will never go back to that old life. And it was this aha moment at about four months when she was four months old that I said, I have to stop forcing the old and start building a new and start building a new me. Now, when you're talking, I'm just thinking, is there something that you would have gone back and told that girl that was about to have that baby? Is there advice that you could have even given her to help? Or do you think it was that you just had to go through all of this to kind of find your way into motherhood? I think people, I think people can give you advice and you can, you can somewhat prepare, but I would tell myself to grieve because what I tried to do, you know, I wasn't even cleared yet and I was already working out because I wanted so badly to get back to the abs that I had and, you know, to lose the baby weight as quickly as possible. And I did not take time to really look at myself in the mirror, stop, like just stop and look at yourself and allow yourself to cry and to feel it. Because we want so badly to hurry up and change and let's, you know, be exhausted, but we're going to continue to work out. And that's what I was doing. I was exhausted, but I would go work out. And then guess what? We're exhausted. We take it out on our husbands. We get resentment with our husbands. We take it out on our children. And I was taking it out on everybody. And I was essentially what I say is if you don't heal from what's hurting you, you're going to bleed on people who didn't cut you. And so I didn't take some time to heal and grieve the death of my old life and the death of my old body. And so I was bleeding on everybody who didn't cut me. And the biggest one were my my son and my husband. I have never heard it said that way, but that makes so much sense. And Amy, you mentioned that it took you four months. I know for many women, it takes even longer to get through that transition. And one thing with Amy Kiefer and I is that our parents are still together, but my husband, his parents split at about age two. So as you tell this story, it's just resonating with everything that he has brought up with having two parents in different houses all throughout his childhood. I remember one of his stories is that the first night that his stepdad slept over, so they got married a couple nights later, his stepdad slept over for the first time and Colin went into their room and said, you're in my daddy's spot. And just talk about eye-opening, like that moment for Colin's stepdad, your moment with your stepson throwing up all over the kitchen that first night. It is. It's just so eye-opening. So as you think through this, where are some of those differences between the transition from being a mom to being a stepmom? 
I think like I was saying earlier, transitioning from a stepmom has been a little bit more difficult because what I didn't realize, you know, when I was saying those vows and saying till death do us part and I was, you know, accepting Kenneth in my life as my son in those times where we were dating, I was a friend. I was just a friend to Kenneth. I would go over, I would play with him. He saw me as a friend. And here's the mistake that I made is that as soon as we got married, you know, I, I then viewed myself as the parent, right? You know, I'm the disciplinarian now I'm the parent and it was a light switch, but this five-year-old little boy, he still saw me as a friend. And so there I jumped into this disciplinarian role way too fast. And now that we're, you know, I've been in his life now for four years, I still, I still really do not wear that disciplinarian role. But when I did jump into this disciplinarian role and started correcting him, um, it caused a lot of tension between me and Kenneth. We, we really butt heads. And that's when I had to start and take a few steps back and start talking to other people in blended families. And I think it's really the biggest thing that has helped me is perspective. And so if you're a part of a blended family, you know, it's so easy to talk to somebody who is in the same role as you. So if you're a stepmom, it's so easy to quote unquote vent to a stepmom because they can relate. But I really had to start going outside of my comfort zone and saying, okay, if I want to, you know, create a blended family that is whole and it's not just two separate families living in one roof, I have to have some uncomfortable conversations. And those conversations came from talking with women who were a part of blended families, but they were the moms, you know, they were the biological moms. And I started to get their perspective of them saying how hard it is to give up their child, you know, and have their child go with another woman. And once I started to see, like, have real empathy for what they're going through, it made margin and it made room in my heart for healing and less room for resentment and bitterness and angry uh, anger, if that makes sense. And then I started talking to, to children. This was key for me, is talking to children who grew up in blended families. And I talked to somebody who, you know, had a great upbringing with their step-parents. And I got to ask them questions of what they loved about their step-parents. And one of the things that they loved the most was that they always said their step-parents always gave them unconditional love. Like no matter if their parents were highs or lows, it just gave them a safe place to land. That was huge for me. And then, you know, I heard stories about people who just had a negative experience. And one of the biggest, what I've heard is that when the step parent is the disciplinarian and that was like, okay, that was my aha moment that me and Ken have to get on the same page and he has to step into this role of disciplinarian and I'm just going to be the enforcer of the rules. I want to give him a safe place to land, but I just want to enforce the rules, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I've heard you say in the past, blended families are blended. They're not broken. And when I was watching your webinar, which was amazing, by the way, um, I realized you said that you had realized that you had to grieve what you thought your life was going to look like from what your life actually looks like. And one of the examples that helped you um, find clarity about this was when you had gone trick-or-treating as a blended family with Kenneth's mom. And so can you talk to me about how that experience went before you grieved what you thought your life was going to look like versus I know you guys had a much better experience this time around. 
Yeah. So first, I think it's important to talk about triggers. You know, how do we know when we need to start that grieving process or when we need to grieve? And I kind of call it like a 210 reaction. And so what that means is that when something happens and you feel triggered, you should only have like a two reaction. This should not be a big deal at all, but your reaction is a 10. Okay. You took this to the extreme. That is when there is something that might need to be unpacked. You might need to get to the root or the wound of what's going on. And so for the you know holidays, every single year, y'all, like every single year, I always get so anxious around the holidays. And I've honestly, like, except for this year, I've dreaded the holidays. And it's because, I hate to say it, but it's just the blended family thing. You know, we're, we're going back and forth. And I, I just, I've always felt anxious. I've never enjoyed it. And so this year, I did something a little bit different. I started in August. It was called this inner healing program. And I honestly thought I was completely perfect. I do not need to <laughs> have any inner healing. I am a perfect human being. And I, I, don't, I don't need to do this. But my friends really encouraged me to do it. It was a huge commitment. It was 16 weeks every Monday for two hours. Okay. A huge commitment in person. Like you, you have to leave the house and you have to go and show up. And so I do this and I start realizing my 210 reactions. I start realizing my triggers. And a lot of my triggers was dealing when it came to a blended family. And I realized that I haven't, I've taken time. I've taken time to grieve the death of my old body, okay? Because now I really do love my new curvy self and I'm confident and I've taken time to grieve the death of my old life. I do not miss it. I would not change that for the world. I love where I am, but I didn't take time to grieve what I thought my future would look like because when we grow up, we think, okay, I'm gonna have a little boy and I'm gonna have a little girl and I'm gonna have a family and it's gonna be a normal family. But I have a little boy and I have a little girl but it's a blended family. And that's not, a, that's not what I grew up envisioning for my life. And so I had t- to take time to grieve that. And so to give you an example, to actually answer your question last year, I was just, I was extremely anxious to go trick or treating. We usually go as a blended family because we want to keep it about our son. You know, we don't want to bring our emotions or our differences in the mix. And we do a really amazing job with that. But this year, I was present. I had fun. I laughed. I had peace. Where last year, I was angry. I was resentful that all of my memories is as a blended family, you know? And since I took that time to really grieve, cry, and I could talk more about how to grieve, but this whole holiday season was the best holiday season I've ever experienced. When I hear you talk about all of this, one question that's coming to my mind is your relationship with Kenneth's mom. Can you take us through how you guys have worked on it? And because you do live a life that is public, like does she see all of this stuff that you are working through and kind of putting out there? And have you ever wondered like what she's thinking about your and Ken's marriage? Um, just so everyone knows, Kenneth is the is the stepson and Ken is Amy's husband. Correct. Yeah. Amy, that's a really good question. Know what I'm saying kind of hit me from left field with that one, sis. You know, I do, I do wonder 
I do wonder what she thinks, you know, and we've never had that conversation. Um, I had to, I had to walk through a lot because it's, it's always weird when, you know, I've never dated a man with a child. And when you date somebody with a child, they have to be in communication with their ex. And that was so difficult for me because I've always felt like I always looked at myself as a confident and secure person. And I could honestly say that when I look back at my, not my pattern, but I would just say my path and my journey, if it wasn't for my faith and if I hadn't found God first, me and Ken would not have worked out because the enemy would have broken us apart. And by the enemy, I mean me, my insecurity would have broken us apart. My jealousy would have broken us apart. And so I, I'm glad that I was a little bit more secure when we met, but having your ex communicate with, I mean, having your husband communicate with their ex all the time, it takes a toll on you. And, you know, when we first started and we first got married, um, Ken was like the middleman. Okay. And of course it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. And Ken was the middleman. So he would communicate anything from his ex to me. And before I knew it, you know, I was doing the pickups at school. I was doing drop-offs at school. I was doing the homework and Ken was still the middleman. And so finally, I think what helped a lot, and it was the most awkward thing ever. And, you know, um, if she's listening to this, I know that she probably thought it was awkward too. But finally, we just had to really sit down face to face. We went to a coffee shop. We sat outside and we just let each other share their, share our heart. And I wanted her to hear me that my role is not to replace you. That is not what I want to do because Kenneth loves you so much. I want to edify you. I want to put you on a pedestal. And my role is to respect how you and my husband want to raise and parent Kenneth because that's something that y'all agreed upon. And so I don't want my opinions to come in between how y'all want to raise Kenneth. No matter what I think, I'm going to respect that. And I let her know. And I said that, my role is just to be a helper mom. I just want to be a helper mom. I'm not trying to be Kenneth's mom, but I want to be like a another extension of you, another hand for you. And I think that if we can communicate directly together, it's just going to help everything work a lot better. And we had to have that meet up. And I'm so grateful that we did as awkward. I mean, I remember like I wanted to throw up. Like I literally wanted to throw up because I was so nervous and you want their approval, you know, right. but it took time. I will say it takes time. It takes both parties um, giving that mutual respect to each other. Well, I honestly look up to you guys because I think, you know, with Drew even, especially when we first got together, I wanted nothing to, to have him have nothing to do with his ex-girlfriend let alone like you guys all have to do this life together now. And it's so beautiful that you have come together because you guys have a very mutual respect, but also goal of raising this family, raising Kenneth. Um, So I think that that is so beautiful. And I know that from following you, I have heard you say too that when Amelia came into the picture, so you had just transitioned into being a stepmom, and then you guys bring this beautiful little girl into your marriage. And you said at times it felt like you were Amelia's mom 
and Ken was Kenneth's dad. And so why are we even doing this life together? Can you kind of speak to how that felt segmented and how you guys worked to kind of get back to just being one family? Yeah. So I remember, and that when I'm going to say it out loud, I'm going to sound psychotic and it's probably because I am, but I remember thinking and having these emotions that I was like so resentful resentful of Ken because Ken has already went through this whole process. You know, he's been with somebody who's been pregnant, who goes to all the doctors, you know, the doctor's visits. And he's went through this whole birthing process. He's went through the newborn phase. And I remember instead of feeling like, wow, I should feel so lucky that he's went through this. He's kind of like a pro, but in reality, I was so angry because I felt like he wasn't as excited because this wasn't his first experience. And then I was just holding on to this excitement. And I honestly felt really alone because he went through this. And I felt as though I was kind of incapable. And these are all just hormones. I'm psychotic. I'm crazy. I get all this. And so when we have Amelia, I thought that Ken would just love her as much as he loves Kenneth right away. I thought Ken would love her like I loved her right away. And a close friend of me gave me the best piece of advice. She said, you know, if any men are listening to this, she was like, men are kind of dumb. And it takes (laughs) them a while to come around. And she said, I had this same experience where it wasn't you. We naturally, us women, we have a bond to this baby because we have carried this baby. We have the hormones to be able to, you know, take care of this baby and love this baby. But you know, our husbands, they don't have that same instinct and that same bond. And so it's going to take them a lot longer to come around, but they're going to start to come around once, you know, the baby starts to recognize them and have a, an attachment to them. And it was around the eight to nine month mark where Mm -hmm. Ken really started to get excited to come home to see her, even on the days that we didn't have Kenneth. But in that first three months, I genuinely felt as those two separate families living in one household and Ken was raising Kenneth. I was raising Amelia. There was no connection between us at all. It was December, um, 2017 where we were laying in bed and I just thought that we made a mistake. Like we should not have gotten married. We made a mistake. And why are we even doing this if we're both raising two separate families And whenever I said that out loud, it made my stomach turn because that's really not what I wanted. Like that wasn't what I wanted. Even though I said it, it wasn't what I wanted. It was just what I was feeling. And it was after that point that me and Ken made this commitment that we're going to have to get our priorities in order because right now we're putting our children before our marriage. We're putting our children before everything else. And our marriage was last. And so we made this commitment that we're going to put our priorities in order. It's going to be our faith first, then our marriage is going to come second, then our children, um, and then our work or businesses and, and so on and so forth. And so it was after that point that we started going to therapy together. Um, we went to therapy every other week. So twice a month, we joined a marriage small group through church. It was with, I think, seven other couples. We'd like sit in a circle and do kumbaya kind of stuff, but <laughs> No, it was like actually really good. We did a four-month marriage um, 
a marriage small group where we got to talk with other couples. We heard other couples struggles. We realized that we weren't alone, but then we also decided to take time to grow separately. So we wanted to grow as a couple, but we also wanted to grow separately. So that's when I did my inner healing four month course. And then he does a um, Bible study every Tuesday morning. But I had somebody ask me the other day, they said, you know, do you still go to counseling even when things are good? And there was a point where me and Ken were like, well, we don't really need to go to counseling. Like we're great, you know, but then we just decided we need to fix our roof before it rains. We need a solid foundation. And this is what counseling is going to do for you because there always are going to be storms. And I think counseling has such a stigma. Like people are almost embarrassed to say that they're going to counseling. But for me, I'm proud of it. We're going and there's absolutely nothing wrong. We're great. But when a storm is going to come, we're going to have a solid foundation that it's not going to be like Hurricane Katrina and our house is going to fall apart. Like we're going to be able to withstand those storms. We don't just go and get our car fixed when it's falling apart. We get oil changes along the way. And I think that just having that couples therapy and having that counseling can help in so many ways when things aren't bad, because we can always grow from it. We can always grow from learning and leaning into each other. And right now, Amy, I am pregnant with our third baby. So you brought up so many truths with your last statement. First of all, it wasn't his first child. So Amelia wasn't his first child. Also, he's a guy. So he doesn't know from that, those first tiny little kicks and the looking at the pregnancy stick and seeing that positive. As women, right away, we have this bond with baby. And sometimes it takes three or eight or 18 months for dad to really create that bond. And as you have grown back together, do you feel like there's any more of a foundation that you have built right now to maybe have another baby? Oh, God. (laughs) We're going there. Oh, man. That is, oh, that's the biggest God wink. Um, So I had such bad postpartum depression and anxiety that it was almost like, it almost felt like PTSD, you know, because I was becoming a stepmom all while becoming a new mom and dropping off. It just happened so fast, all within a year of starting to date. And I was talking about this with my husband actually last night. And I said, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to feel ready to have another baby, but I have so much fear to, to go through that experience again. But I do know that God has delivered me from that. He's He's grown me. Like I'm a completely different person and I know that I'm going to be able to handle it well. And I just keep saying that if God, if I'm in control, God's not in control. And right now I'm in control. Like I'm getting to decide whether or not when I want to start trying or not. And I don't want to live that way. And me and Ken just had this conversation literally last night where we're like, you know what? we were going to just let whatever happened happen and just let God have the lead. Cause who knows we may not ever have be able to have another child or we might get pregnant right away, but I don't want fear to make my decisions anymore. And so, yes, I never, ever, ever thought that I would say I want another child ever. I wrote it in my journal in the newborn phase. And I was like, never have another child. This is terrible. But then Amelia this morning, she gave me the biggest hug and she said, I love you, mom. And I started crying and I was like, okay, I'm ready to get pregnant, you know? (laughs) So yeah, I I am ready. And I think that I'm going to be a lot better mom the next time around. 
And I think it's so important to acknowledge that the timeline is going to look so different for all of us. So you have put a lot of work into healing from all of the changes and all of the hardships after Amelia came. Um, I think that that's so beautiful because sometimes we can compare to other women. I know you and I have had a personal relationship for a while now and you telling me that you would never want another child. Um, And I didn't say, oh no, you will, or wait, wait and see. It was like you, that was your truth and you had to live that. And I couldn't say anything that would have been helpful in that, but just to hear you and hear how hard it was. Part of the thing that I love about your story is that you're always growing from your experiences. So whether that be divorce, a job change, becoming a stepmom, cultivating a relationship with Kenneth's mom, all of these things, I can't let this interview pass without hearing about what is coming up for you as you serve your community so well. Um, You're doing webinars, you're speaking on stages, you're leading your community on social. What are your big dreams, Amy? And what what goals do you have coming up? Yeah, so um, I was a part of a network marketing company. I think this is a big piece of my story. I was a part of a network marketing company for six years and I was like guns blazing, pedals to the metal. Um, and it was my full-time income. So it made up about 60% of me and my husband's family income. And so last year around this time, exactly me and me and my husband were making plans of, okay, maybe he can quit his job. Like maybe he can take a year off of work. And we were thinking, okay, October, November of 2019, you know, he'll be able to quit his job. He'll take a year off of work and, you know, we'll go from there just so that he can reset because my husband, my main motivator in all of this is that I want to give my husband time. Um, he leaves before the children get up and he gets back where he might have an hour, an hour and a half to where he can see them. And then he sees only one of them, you know, half the time. And that's like huge. That's like his, that's where he just, he carries a lot of guilt for that because he sees them half the time. And so my gift that I want to give my husband and why I work hard is because I want him to have options and I want him to have more time with his children. And last year in May of 2019, the company that I was with for six years, they let us know that they're going to be changing their business model and that we're no longer going to be able to make a full-time income with it. And, you know, we talk about grieving, but like, I grieved. I've never grieved that hard before whenever I knew that we were going to lose that that security and our plans completely changed. And so for two days in May, it's almost been a year. I can't believe it. For two days, I just allowed myself to sob and really cry. But then I kind of sat back. I stopped crying and I listened to what God wanted me to do. And I had to really go back and hear him. And it was so clear. Like if I got rid of all the distractions, I shut off my phone. It was so clear of what he intended to do. And as soon as I heard it, I felt a peace. I literally felt as if the the chains were coming off of me and that business was a distraction the whole time. And he said, you know, you are to start writing and you're to start speaking and I want you to reach. I want you to reach and show people how I've been able to transform your life. And if we're being honest, I've never, I've never really shared until this year, 
you know, my faith. I've never really shared my truth. And the reason why is because I've always remained as neutral as possible because I didn't want to dive into my faith because I didn't want to push anybody away because I was just trying to attract people to my business, right? So that I could that so that I could grow. So I remained neutral. I remained vanilla. And once I felt that, that he said, I'm going to, I'm going to release these chains from you. And I want you to reach people by sharing my story. That's just when I knew exactly what I needed to do. So I began writing. I'm working with a book proposal. I'm uh, writing a book proposal right now, working with a few publishers to try to get a deal to write a book, but that like books, y'all, I mean, freaking takes forever. I did not think that it would take this long. So it's, that's going to take forever. Um, but right now, what I really love to do is to teach, is to teach women. And these past six years or seven years that I've been in network marketing, I've had tons of mistakes, but I've built my business solely on Instagram, solely on Instagram. And so now I'm wanting to walk into this of, okay, I'm ready to teach women how to build a business or how to monetize your social media or how to grow your social media on Instagram but without burnout and without sacrificing what matters most, you know, to not put your business before your marriage or put your business before your children. And that is what's most important to me. So I want to help women lay a solid foundation while building a business on social media and teaching them all those, those strategies and tools. And as you say this, I want to sign up for that course right now (laughs) because that is definitely something that I struggle with. And Amy, as you talk, you just sound so clear. Like everything you're saying, you just sound like this is the path you're supposed to be on. And that's hard. Like making a pivot after six years in a business where you felt drawn to it, you felt the inspiration, you felt the motivation. And then one day for someone else to make the decision on having to make a complete pivot. I'm glad that you grieved because a lot of people, I know myself included, instead of grieving, I'll just jump right in on the next train and try to get on get going with whatever the next step is instead of actually taking time to say this part of my life is over and it's over for a very specific reason. Thank you. I think that, I think that we just need to follow our peace, honestly, like follow the things that bring you energy, even when it doesn't make sense. Because I remember when I told my husband this and I love him so much for this because I said, I'm supposed to write a book. And, you know, the enemy or, you know, everybody else kind of said, well, who are you to write a book? Who's going to read that book? And then all this self-doubt and imposter syndrome happens. But you have to follow your peace and the things that bring you energy, even when it doesn't make sense. And my husband said, babe, we, we're losing, you know, 60% of our family's income and it could take two years to write a book, you know, and I'm going to support you, but you need to do that. But you might need to think about doing something else. And so I began writing. I started doing that. It's brought me so much energy. It's brought me so much peace. I love speaking on guest podcasts like this, but I'm going to encourage any woman that's listening to this right now is that there's a, there's a gut feeling that you know what you're supposed to do. And you literally cannot put it into words to try to tell anybody else, whether it's you opening up a boutique or whether it's you leaving your nine to five to be a personal trainer or an online coach, or maybe you want to paint and have your own studio, or you want to be a photographer. It doesn't make sense to leave your security in the safe place, but you have to walk and take that ne- You have to take that step into the direction that's going to bring you energy. And the cool thing is y'all is that if it, if it brings you anxiety, 
step right back. That's what I tell women is that we stay still and we think that we're just going to know the answers. But I tell people just take that step. And if it brings you peace, take that next step and you continue to take that next step. And then guess what? You lose your business, you get a layoff, you lose your job, you don't get the promotion, then you can pivot. But I think that we think that we're going to have this one train that's just going to take us to the destination. So we get out of college, we hop on this one train, we have our bachelor degree, and we're like, okay, we're going to do this until we're 65 years old, until we're blue in the face, and we're going to hope that we have you know, security in our 401k by the end of this, and we're just going to live, pay bills, and die, okay, or work, pay bills, and die. But what happens is, is that we want to grow. We want to continue to evolve. And when you grow, your train might shift. You might have to hop off that train that you got your degree in, which for me was dental hygiene. I was outgrowing that. So I hopped off a train and I got on another train and that was network marketing train. But that train started to take a different direction. I could have stayed on it, but it started to take a different direction. And I had to look back of, okay, where, what is my goal? Well, my end all be all goal is that I want to bring my husband home, period. That's what I want. I want him to have time. So you have to figure out what is your end all be all goal? Where do you see your life? And you work backwards from that. And you have to decide, will this train take me to the destination? And most often it's going to be three, four, five or six trains you have to hop on. I am here for the trains. That was so good. I know a lot of people really get stuck and change is scary. I'm a girl that has pivoted a lot too, pivoted away from nursing. So I, I just hear you there. Um, I personally could talk to you all day. You know that I'm such a fan. I am poised to bring our online friendship into real life at some point. Let me tell you, Amy, Drew, my husband, even knows who you are as like the Amy I follow on Instagram because I'll talk about you. Um, so we're coming to Louisiana sometime. That is for sure. But I just want to take the time to really say thank you for gracing us with your presence for showing up with honesty. You know, it's not all easy. It's not all positive. You share that. And I really respect you for that. So please tell all of our listeners where they can find more of you. Yeah. So I, first off, I love what y'all are doing with this podcast and your whole message. I know I said that in the beginning, but I just, I love it and it needs to be heard. Um, so I'm so proud of both of you, but you can find me Really, I'm showing up on Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram at Amy, A-M-Y underscore Bernhard, which is B-E-R-N-H-A-R-D as in Delta and then underscore the N. And if you want to see more of me and a little bit more vulnerable side of me, click the link in my bio and you can sign up for my email list, which I give a lot more intimate, vulnerable stories through my email list. And we'll make sure to link all of this so it's easy for our listeners to hear. Thank you. You have shared so much with our community today. Is there any last items you want to leave um, our community with, whether it's from a stepmom standpoint, making pivots, um, or anything just to inspire women around the world? Yeah. Um, I had this, this, uh, this is a very short story of what just happened. So this past Friday, I was driving home. I had a very long day. It was about a 12 hour day and I had about an hour left to 
you know, get home from New Orleans. And I decided, you know, I'm super hangry and my body's eating its muscles. So let me go and stop at Subway. And I stopped at this Subway and the workers in this Subway like brought me so much joy. It was like people that were like Chick-fil-A nice. Like when you go to Chick-fil-A, you're like, oh my God, I want to hang out with these people and kick it with my homies. They were like that. They were so nice. You know, they gave me compliments. We were talking and, you know, the girl said, wow, we just, we got really lucky today. We have awesome customers who are really nice. And I said, you know, the reason everybody that's walking in here is so nice is because you guys are nice. Y'all are so good at what you do. And when I left that subway, I was dragging my butt when I walked in. And when I left, I was excited. I was inspired simply by a couple of short conversations. And those women in there, they could have just like, you know, been super negative in the morning and say, you know what? This isn't my purpose. Like, I'm not supposed to be making people sandwiches for a living. I'm supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z. But what I'm going to encourage you is that, you know, you are purpose. Like, don't tie your purpose to a paycheck. Don't tie your purpose to a prize or recognition. Don't tie your purpose to a position at work that, oh, well, I'll live my purpose if I get this promotion or I'm living my purpose if my paycheck is X, Y, and Z. Because I look back at the person who probably impacted my life the most and he was my basketball coach in seventh grade and he taught me about grit. He helped me with my attitude. Um he really helped me to become the woman that I am. And if you ask him, he wasn't living a very glamorous life. He was a basketball coach on the side and he was a mailman. And so, but the thing is, is that he knew he is purpose. You can take your purpose wherever you go. And those women in that subway, they complete, they were living out their purpose And they were working as if they were the CEO to the whole Subway franchise. And so when you show up and you know that you can provide purpose no matter what season you're in, whether if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're living your purpose. You can add value. If you are a cashier at Target, you can add value and change somebody's life just as if those women did add Subway for me. Yes, Amy. Yes to all of this. And we actually next week have an episode airing on passions and purpose. So you are leading right into the storyline there. So if at any time during this episode, you felt that tug at your heart, maybe it's to be the best dang barista that Starbucks ever had, all the way into maybe improving the relationship that you have with your son or with your daughter or with a stepchild. Let this be the sign. Start today. Like it's never too late to get these things started. And I know We all know that we can use Amy's information to just get one step further than we are today.